this Sunday morning, thankful that we can gather around your word, thankful for that Christian fellowship that you bless us with. We ask that you would be in our midst this morning, that you would, as parents and grandparents and friends, give us wisdom and hearts that we could lead and teach and walk in a way that would be an example to these little ones, and that you would allow us to walk, that glory could be brought to you. We ask that you would lead and guide each of us every day, and that you would lead those who are in positions of leadership in our nations, in our community, that they would be led by you, and that your honor and glory 
would be first and foremost, and that you would give us hearts to know and to trust that if things aren't going the way we see and think would be wise, that we could be given faith and understanding that you are in charge and you know. We ask that you would, through your Spirit, be in our midst this morning, that you would open this word, that you would open it, that we could be fed, and that you could open our hearts, that that word could lodge there, and that it could grow and bring fruit to your honor and to your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name, who's taught us to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Should <coughs> we continue with 208? Thank you. 
May we be greeted this morning with greetings of grace and mercy and peace from God our Heavenly Father, through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. For a text this morning, I'll turn to the book of Philippians, to the fourth chapter. I'll read starting at the fourth verse and I'll read through the ninth verse. It's Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Greeting in Jesus' name. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. And the God of peace shall be with you. Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians. <clears throat> and some of these things, we would perhaps think that they should be self-evident Christians. And it says here that rejoice in the Lord always around us in the world at the things that are going on. And there is much, especially as Christians, even as individuals probably, that we would not think would be something that we would rejoice in or be thankful for. <clears throat> but we notice that it is in the Lord that we are to rejoice. As Christians, we have that privilege that it is not in the matters of this world where our focus is and where the most importance is. Yes, we have to walk here each and every day. We have this natural flesh that we carry around with us. We have to feed it. We have to take care of it. We have jobs. We have these things. And I'm sure that many of those things are important. And for myself, I find that often it is that these things, they seem to get very important. And I think it is I guess the love of our God, that perhaps he allows things to come in our way. He allows trials to happen to us so that our focus changes from those things that are in this life. And it changes to where it should be. Those matters that deal with eternity, matters that deal with that undying portion that is here with us, that even when this body passes from this life, that it carries on. It goes to be with the God that created it. I say it so often, but if we live here a hundred years, or even as we read in the Bible, some of them that lived upwards of 900 years, if we compare that to eternity, it is a very short period. It is something that... I don't have the ability to explain. I don't think any of us do. We are such earthly creatures and we are bound by time. And it is what we live with. It is how we measure things. And I've actually told people that if you can explain to me how there's no time, I can probably explain lots of things then. But it's just how it is. It is beyond us. And so this period that we live here, Yes, we have this natural flesh that we live with and deal with. We have those around us. 
But as Christians, we are looking forward to eternity. And as Christians, we have that privilege of knowing what it is that we're going to face when we pass from this life. We know that we have a God who loves us, whose desire is separation that came there when Adam and Eve fell into sin. That sin that came between God and man, it is his greatest desire that that would be gone. We know that sin, when Adam and Eve fell in the garden, that was what the great problem that came into this world. We know from what the Bible tells us, this wasn't a surprise to God. It tells us that he laid out that it isn't that God created Adam and Eve, they fell into sin, so then he set up that Christ would die to pay for that sin so that we could be saved. It sounds, but if we read the Bible, that's not how it works. It tells us that what Christ has done for us was set up before the foundation of the world was laid. God knew what mankind was, and I have to leave it with him why he still created us when I look at myself even, but he loves us. He sent his son to pay for what we have done, pay for that sin that we do, that we are. And as amazing as it it may seem, sin no longer has to be the problem because Jesus came and paid for it on the cross. And it is why we, as Christians, at the end of each of the Gospels, there is that great commission that we are to go forth and preach repentance and remission of sins. It's because it is what Jesus came to accomplish. And it is our greatest purpose and our greatest privilege. People have that choice to believe that message. I put it this way sometimes. The Bible tells us that there is a judgment day where all knees will bow before God. We know it is to be true because it is according to God's word. We have as Christians that privilege of being able to tell people, you are a sinner, but no, not all is lost. We don't, it isn't in our ability to convict someone of sin. We leave that with the Holy Spirit. It isn't what we are able to do. We have been given that privilege that we can share that message. And if that Spirit of God will work in a heart, and if that heart will give heed to that Spirit, We don't have to look very far into this word of God. I don't care who we are, how good of life we live, or how bad of life we live. We look into this word of God and we find very quickly that the standard that God has set, which is perfection, we fall short of very quickly. But we would not ever want to leave someone in that spot because it is a hopeless state. If we look at our ability to be good enough people or to do enough good things or to live a good enough life that we would merit favor with God, it's a hopeless and an endless road of toil and hardship. We know, though, that God has given to his children, he tells us, the keys to the kingdom of heaven. A key opens the door, and the Bible tells us who the door is. It is Christ. It is through Christ that we enter into that kingdom of heaven. And what is the keys? Jesus tells us in Matthew. He says these words that I'm sure we're familiar with. He says, And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. 
Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then at the end of John, Jesus, he tells them, he gives them the Holy Spirit and, and tells them these words, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. It isn't through our power that we have that. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. He tells them, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. Whatsoever, whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them, and whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. We know that the problem between God and man was sin. But God has given us that key that we can release people from sin. Not that we can. Christ did it, but we can assure them. We encourage people, believe your sins forgiven. Why? Because of what Christ has done, that his blood paid for them, and that he rose again from the dead and has opened the gates of heaven to us. And we don't do it from some theory that the Bible has. We do it because we know for our own hearts that if that blood can cover my sin, it can cover yours too, no matter who you are. It is a most precious message. It is why we call it that gospel message, that good news, because we can tell people with the full authority of God that this is how it is. Believe that. And if God gives a heart faith to believe that message, then as it tells us in, <clears throat> I believe it's the first letter of John, first epistle of John, or speaking of love, it says, um, perfect love casteth out fear. <clears throat> Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. We don't have to worry about judgment day, because that love of God has cleansed us through the blood of Christ. We don't have to worry about the God we face, because in reality, we have come there and accepted judgment in this world and said, yes, I don't, I don't add up. I don't merit your favor and to be your child. But there's one here who beside me who has said that he has paid for me and his blood covers me and his righteousness can be mine. It is a most amazing thing. And it is because our God loved us and loves us. And when that is where our focus is on what God has done for us through Christ, and we can call Christ not only our savior, but our brother and friend. And that Spirit of God dwells in our heart to lead and guide us. Then these things of this world that can take away the joy that we might feel, or our confidence, or trouble us, they become secondary. And we can do what Paul encourages us here, that we would rejoice in the Lord always. It is something that our Lord has done for us that is worth rejoicing in. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. I don't know about everybody else, but I see <clears throat> for myself things happening in the world today, the way the people who are in leadership in our government, even in our cities and communities, and some of the things they do in my mind is ridiculous. And I could get upset and, and my mind can very quickly go to doing something radical because to me it seems like sheer stupidity. And I would hope that at those times, and God has, 
brings these things that no, let our moderation be known. In in Matthew, and I have a hard time with this sometimes, it says, um, <clears throat> this is Jesus speaking in the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, But I say unto you that you resist not evil, but whatsoever... Sh- but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man shall sue thee at the law and take away from thee thy cloak, let him coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow from thee, turn thou not away. That first part where it says, resist not evil. It's hard for me as a human when we see things that are so contrary to God, and not that we don't have to take a stand many times. We come into situations and someone says, well, this is what we should do with something. This is a very extremely just hypothetical. But if we're someone and they say, let's go steal a neighbor's truck. As Christians, we know that's not right. We have to take a stand. We can't just go along with it and say, well, I'm not going to resist evil. That's not what I'm saying. But when we see the evil that seems to be pervading our governments and things like that, yes, we stand, we say what's right, but it's not our job to go and get rid of it. We could say, well, this leader is completely wrong, so I'm going to go and shoot him and get rid of that. I don't believe that's our position. That's God's domain. We can turn back to King David, and it was before he was king, David had been given the insight that he was going to be king of Israel. He was living in Saul's household. Saul obviously knew that at some point too. He tried to kill David. David escaped a couple times. David was given the opportunity that he could have killed Saul. He left that with God. I think it is an example for us to look at that also. I believe that's what it's telling us when it says resist not evil. Yes, we have to stand for what's right. But it's not our job to get rid of all the evil in the world. We can leave that with God. And many times I would say that moderation that we are encouraged that we would let it be known. It's what people around us see that for reasons that are perhaps beyond their understanding because they don't have Christ dwelling in their heart. They do not understand that there is someone caring for them that is perfect and knows exactly what they need, whether we understand it or not at times. But they don't understand that, and they wonder, how is it that you can be so calm about this situation? It isn't that we can. It's that Christ gives us that confidence to know. It says, be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. The wording of this I find very interesting. If we turn to the first part of Romans, and I won't read the whole part of it, but it lays out there in that first, towards the end of the first chapter, and it basically lays out a, a downward spiral of, mankind or a group of people or a nation or whatever you want, maybe an individual. And it gets fairly bad. It Towards the end, it talks about, and likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the women burn in lust one towards another. And it goes down to these kind of things. 
But the one thing that I find interesting is at the beginning of it, for they glorify, because it speaks that they had been shown the oracles of God, says then, but because when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. I find oftentimes as a human being, thankfulness in certain situations is not my first instinct. I can very quickly look at something that seems bad or something that I should complain about. It's not how we should be. As Christians, if everything else is gone completely sideways, we still have that salvation that I spoke of at first. And that is something to be thankful for. And where we live in this world, in the nation and country where we live in, we have many things to be thankful for. I had a grandfather, and maybe some of you heard him even say it. He said that if we took time to consider our blessings, we wouldn't have time to complain about things. And it's true. We have many blessings and much to be thankful for. It is human nature that we are very quick to see something that's wrong. This here, it tells us that we aren't to be careful about what we bring to God. If we have needs, desires, wants, yes, we can bring them. We have a God who loves us. Most of us have had children. And they come to us with sometimes the strangest requests, that they would want to have this. And some of them, to them, are probably very reasonable. But to us, we know that it's not the best for them. And if we say no, it's not because we don't like them or that we're going to fire them out of the house or whatever instantly. It's that we know what's best. If they come first thing in the morning and want to tie into the candy bowl or something like that, we don't say no because we don't love them. It's because we care and know what's best. They don't have to worry about how they come or what requests they come with. That's how our God is. But it says that one of the first things that we should have when we're dealing with God is we should be thankful. We should speak to him from a thankful heart and with hearts remembering that there are things and things that we are thankful for because there is so much. And I was actually speaking with someone this morning and we were discussing prayer and we talked about it and we have different points of view not that they were either one was wrong but it's just like two people looking at something from a different side and after talking about it we came to the maybe the conclusion that first and foremost that our prayers perhaps to God is that in whatever the situation may be that we would pray that pray that he would give us an obedient heart and an understanding of what it is that his will is for this situation and that we could pray for that, that he would give us a spirit of prayer. It tells us in Romans that that spirit we have prays for us with groanings that we cannot even utter. It knows what God's will is. I believe that if we have hearts that are attentive to him, he will put it on our hearts what to pray. And yes, there are situations that we don't know what it is God wants. And I don't think there's anything wrong with praying, thy will be done. And in all things that we would pray, thy will would be done. We know that Jesus came and walked perfectly. 
And in walking perfectly, we are we know that he walked according to the will of God. He knew what God's will was in all situations. And yet we read about him in the Garden of Gethsemane. He prays that if this cup could be taken from me, it isn't that he didn't know what God's will was. It isn't that he had any desire to go against God's will. I believe that he just could see what it was much better than we would ever understand what it was he was facing in accomplishing our salvation. But he said, thy will be done. It is something that in my prayers I find that Shane's will is often pretty strong and formal front. And I don't think it is ever wrong that the desire of our heart in everything is that God's will would be done. And that we could pray that we would know it, that we would be obedient to it, that we would have the strength to do it. And in spite of what our human nature might want to do in a situation, run away from something or whatever it might be, that we'd be given strength to do God's will. Says, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. <clears throat> we many times greet each other with greetings. God speaks. We know, I don't know, probably since the beginning of when sin entered in the world, there's been trouble. We read in the Bible about Cain killing Abel. Those kind of things have gone down. There's wars constantly. They talk in the world. They have conferences and meetings, peace conferences. And yes, it is good to strive for peace and that there wouldn't be friction or war or open fighting. It isn't anything we would want. But the Bible tells us that those things are going to be here till the end. But even if they were happening right around us and we were living in it, as Christians, we can still have that peace of God in the heart. That peace of a good conscience that comes from that knowledge that my conscience is clear before God. Because that blood of Christ has covered the sin that is in my walk. <clears throat> it isn't that when we sin, all of a sudden, we're not a Christian anymore. <clears throat> because we sin daily. It's just part of our beings. I've said this before. and. Maybe I hope I don't say some of these things too much. But I I use this example that as Christians, I believe we could look at ourselves as a mirror. And any glory that comes to us would be reflected to God. And that anybody looking at us would see God reflected in our life. They would not see us and our failures and those things. But they would see God reflected there. And if they think it's wonderful that they would see that the glory would go to God. I believe that as Christians, when there is sin in our life, or when we do something that is wrong, we get spots on that mirror, and that reflection starts to break down. And the more that gets on there, the less that that works. And the glory doesn't go to God. And God doesn't show forth in our life. And I believe that that is why he has given us That ability where it says, confess your faults one to another. It isn't that we go that we would become a Christian. No, it's that we could get rid of those burdens that would weigh us down. Clean those spots off that mirror. 
that God would shine in our lives. It's the privilege that God has given us because he knows what we were. It isn't that you become a Christian and all of a sudden we're a perfect being. I often lament and wish that it were so because I walk around and I most aggravating thing in this world is to be a human, it seems, lots of times. It's how it is. But we don't have to carry those things. If there's something on our conscience, the Bible instructs us what to do. We go to where God is found, living in the hearts of our brother or sister in faith. <clears throat> go to God. Deal with those things. Finally, brethren, Whatsoever things are true, <clears throat> this when I say that, it <clears throat> came to my mind a conversation I had recently with someone, and they brought up something that, I mean, I, as soon as they said it, I knew it was true, but they're right, but it's something that I hadn't put into words, and I don't know that I can do justice to what they said. But they were talking about how it is in the world today, there's lots of people that have that understanding that, we be good people. We walk a good life and we do good things. We be nice to people. And that's what is necessary. And yes, as Christians, we are encouraged to walk a good walk. To be good people. But there is a difference between necessarily good and truth. And the Bible tells us, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Just because something seems good, especially to our natural reasoning, doesn't mean that it is true. These things of truth, there are, <clears throat> I guess it is the problem, is that many things that are considered good, <clears throat> it's considered good because of the measuring stick that society has come up with, uh, how to measure things. <clears throat> it's no longer that, well, this is what God's word says is good. It's like, well, you have your opinion and I have my opinion and you think this is good and, and I think this is good and so we're both, we just have to live with the other thing. And good becomes a moving scale of what is agreed upon by the majority of people. And if you do that, very quickly I think it can happen in societies, we get... I say even Hitler. It wasn't that they they were doing what they thought was good, but it wasn't truth according to God's word. And when it says here that we would think on these things that are true, it is the truth according to God's word. It is the truth according to what God instructs, not what some man comes up with. And even... I repeat this too, but it is so true. Even speaking from this position, I put the onus on the, everyone listening. Don't take my word for it. If it doesn't agree with the Bible, be, please be so loving and gracious as to come and tell me. We're all valuable humans. It's the word of God that matters and what it says. And if anybody, no matter how good or in a position they are, if they are saying something that's contrary to God's word, don't listen to it. And if it's the appropriate situation, please, please care enough for them to go and share what's right 
and do it, as the Bible said, with a meek heart. Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. These things, in reality, the world takes some of these things and defines them, and they could say, well, yes, this is what they do. <clears throat> but when we take these words and define them according to how God's word lays them out, it is speaking in truth of Christ. It is the different... We have a Savior and a God that is so much bigger than us and so much beyond our comprehension that he comes with this Bible and it gives us different angles that we can see and we can start. And it is why we look into God's word. It is why we have fellowship about God's word. It isn't to make us better Christians. It's so that we have and we can see fuller the love that God has for us, the fullness of his care for us, how much it is in truth that he has done for us and does for us. And all these things are found in Christ. And if we just simply said, and it is it is kind of how the word of God works in many ways. It could say, finally, brethren, whatsoever things that we would think of on his, sorry, that we would think about Christ. And it is true. But Paul here has taken the time to elaborate on them, elaborate on what Christ is to us and what he does for us. It is something that, and I think as time goes on and I look ahead at what's coming and, and what appears to be coming, it really in many ways doesn't appear that time is going to last that much longer. And we read in the Bible here that those men very soon after Jesus went, it says that they were in the end times. And so we definitely are much closer to the end of time. And we are in those end times. And the Bible tells us some things that don't look very enjoyable for Christians especially, or for a lot of people really. And I think as we see these things happening, it is good that we would stop. The Bible says, be still and know that I am God. Let us be still and know that God is God. But let us also take the time to fellowship one with another about our God about what Christ has done for me. I don't know why this thought popped into my head, but it speaks in the Bible about tithing. <clears throat> and there's not much positive about it in the New Testament. But in the Old Testament, it was something they actually did. And I believe that it gives us a spiritual picture in the New Testament <clears throat> because it tells us Abraham tithed of the things that he had won in the battle of the kings. It tells us that those things, the first fruits, that they would brought, be brought into the vessels of the temple as a tithe. Jesus in Malachi tells us that he gets after them for not doing it and tells them that if they do it, he would bless them that the storehouses would be overflowing. I believe that if we turn that to the spiritual side, we can see when we have battles, we're to share with one another our victories, perhaps where we feel that we've not done so well, the first fruits of our labors, what God has done for us to strengthen our faith, 
how it is that he has dealt with us on a daily basis. We're to share those things. And I think the truth of the matter is, we look at 10%, that we struggle as people, no matter how good we are, at being able to share with others 10% of what God does for us, what God has shown with us, what God has done to care for us. But we are encouraged to, and I'm sure all of us can relate, that we've talked to someone and they've shared something. Speaking about matters of salvation or faith, they share with us and it encourages us. It brings rejoicing in our hearts to see that, yes, God has cared for them. And sometimes, I don't know why it is, it's easier for us to see how God is caring for someone else than it's to see it in our own life. But it encourages us. And he tells us that if we do that, he will bring overflowing blessings. It's a promise. It says to think on these things. That is to be where our thoughts are. And yes, we deal with our day-to-day life. Our thoughts go there. But Christ is where the essence, where our focus should be is. It says, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. This is Paul writing. I think each of us, I would struggle to put myself in there where it says, seen in me. But as Christians, we would pray that God would be seen and Christ would be seen in our life and in our walk. And that in truth, people would see that and see what it is that we've received in James He tells us that we would, not James and Peter, he tells us that we would be, it says, but sanctifying the Lord God in your heart and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. I believe that's much the same as what Paul is saying here, that if someone sees that there is a difference here, That if someone sees Christ coming forth in someone's life and ask, what is it? That we would be quick to give them an answer in meekness, it says, because we know it's not of us. We know that when good, someone sees good in our life or something showing forth that is that way, it is because of Christ or that spirit of God leading us and guiding us. And we can be thankful for it. But the glory is God's. Let us thank God if that is how it is. It says, and the God of peace shall be with you. It's one of those things. When we have come to Christ, and that spirit of God, he has given it. And we speak of, we had that baptism today. But there's that baptism of the Holy Spirit that Christ says he will do. And if someone has gone away from God, has lost that peace, and they have come to that, been brought to that place of repentance, and they have believed that message of Christ, that those sins are forgiven, and God has come to dwell there through his spirit, the spirit of God who created this entire universe, will come and dwell in the heart of a human and lead and guide them. And bring us comfort, and as it says, peace. No matter what may be going on around us, if someone is killed or if someone is tortured, and we read in those stories like in Fox Books of Martyrs of those 
people who are by the grace of God given faith to go to be, whatever, burnt, singing praises to God. It's something that it's hard to believe as a human being. But God can give that kind of faith when it is needed. He's promised to give us faith for the day. We would wish to have that faith every day, but we leave that with God. I pray that God may add his blessing to his word. In Jesus' name, amen. We humble our hearts and receive the benediction. May the Lord bless thee and keep thee. May the Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.